Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 1. We are grateful that uh, Greg and I have mentioned this to each other a few times in the last few weeks in that these themes and, and thoughts that we've been through in chapter 1 will show up again throughout John because we could spend another 8-10 weeks on just this first chapter. But we'll see uh, some of these things again and um, look forward to that as well. And today we'll go verses 35 through 51, God willing, beginning at 35. The next day, again, John was stamped. Well, let's stop there. The next day. We see that a lot. This is, this is quite possibly uh, what we've seen because we've seen the next day before. And these verses today are, cover three days time. And so what we've been looking at uh, since John uh, the Baptist uh, testimony here um, which, as we learned last week, is really, it's not, this is not the baptism of Jesus that we looked at last week. This is just John, uh, John the Baptist reiterating that. Um, <clears throat> it probably happened some 40 plus days prior to this time. Um, but this is really the first week in the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's what we see here when he goes this day and the next day and the next day and the next day and the three days that we look at um, today. Also, uh, we can get close to pinpointing the day because Pastor Greg will um, start chapter 2. It says, on the the third day, there was a wedding in Cana. Traditionally, weddings, um, Jewish weddings were on Tuesday. Um, And so, quite possibly, if this particular day in verse 35 is not the Sabbath. They may, uh, they, the, the Sabbath not, might not be included here. So this is maybe either Friday or Sunday um, that we're looking at here, verse 35, and then we'll take the next, uh, that day and the next two days, and then the wedding takes place. I know that means nothing to you, um, but I just like thinking about those things. So, Sorry. So the next day we got through three words. Again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Now, why would John, the apostle who's writing this, why would he want to define for us what rabbi means? Because he is writing this letter not just to Jews. And uh, he, he wants all those other people who are reading this letter to understand what that means as well. And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. That's another thing that's... 
we're not really going to go into detail on some of these little brief matters, and so I'll just address them now. We know that Andrew's mentioned here. John the Apostle is not mentioned. That's probably the second um, disciple of John the Baptist. It's probably Andrew and John. There's some arguments for some others, but it's probably Andrew and John. John never mentions himself throughout the entire gospel. And so chances are this is Andrew and John the Apostle um, at this point. And I, you know, you're just thinking there at the end of verse 39, for it was about the 10th hour. John pretty much, now this is 50 to 60 years John is writing this after it happened. Okay? 50 or 60 years after this event happened, John's writing about it so you and I can read it. And he's recalling the hour he was saved. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful to look back and see what God had done? When the, the hour that he met Jesus. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Uh, Messiah is the Hebrew word for Messiah. Christ is the Greek word. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon the son of John. Uh, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, okay, so this is the third day. Uh, you get that? Verse 35 was the next day. And then they spent another day with Jesus. And then the third day, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Your Bibles may say no guile. Well, we already know that because he, what was in his head came out of his mouth when he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, we know there's no deceit in him. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the Son of God. You're the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. And he said, Truly, truly, I say unto you, or your Bible might say, Verily, verily, uh, which actually means, Amen, amen, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's the Word of God. In this particular chapter, Jesus, we've seen now through all of chapter 1, we've seen all, all the names that have been, all the titles that have been given Jesus. And there are many. Let me call them out to you. Logos, 
God, the light of men, the true light, the only begotten of the Father, greater than John the Baptist, Jesus Christ, the only Son, the Lord, Lamb of God, He that baptizes with the Holy Spirit, God's chosen one, the Son of God, Rabbi, the Messiah, He of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, the King of Israel, and then Son of Man, we see there in verse... 51. And I, it's fair to say, too, I think, that by recording all these titles that Jesus has been given, just in the first chapter, mind you, just here at the beginning, that John is trying to be very clear at the picture he wants us to see of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I don't know how many were on that list, maybe 16 or more. He wants to show him as the Christ. We, we saw in ch- chapter 20, verse 31, I think it was, that the purpose I'm writing this book is that you know, you come to know the Son of God. All these titles are used of Jesus. And yet the one he uses of himself is Son of Man. And he calls himself the Son of Man 80 times in the New Testament. That's the title Jesus uses most of himself. This is the Son of Man seeking men. And and before we get into the main part of this message in this particular text, we see something, too, that's foreign to us in this day and age there at the very beginning John was standing with two of his disciples he looked at Jesus behold the Lamb of God and it's almost as if John just sort of steps out of the way now we, a couple of chapters later we do see uh, we do see one more conversation with John but it's like behold the Lamb of God and he sort of moves out of the way how many preachers do you know that just step out of the limelight not many. John's stepping back. He knew, okay, my, my assignment, God has called me to my assignment. My assignment is to point people to Jesus. And when Jesus uh, appeared uh, on the scene, he sent his disciples to him. And can you imagine what that picture was? Really, the last of the Old Testament prophets standing face to face with the fulfillment of all that prophecy. What a picture. And behold, the Lamb of God. It's really John's swan song. His message was Christ. His purpose was to point people to Christ. And his Spirit was filled with this enormous humility. There he is. Let me get out of the way. Well, when we stand here and preach each Sunday, you know, we we would see Jesus and Him only, not the preacher. But Jesus and Him only. And no sooner had. John, given this witness that we looked at last week, uh, verses 19 through 34, roughly. 
we see this conversion of those who actually did believe in in uh, John's preaching of righteousness and following the one who came. They believed as a result of John's witness when Christ came on the scene. And, 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 and in brief, there's Andrew and this unnamed disciple, um, probably the apostle John. And through their witness, we... Uh, we see Peter and and, and then and then Philip and and Nathaniel and the the story of this this conversion of these few men. This is really this is the very very first seed of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now we know Acts two tells us about the creation of the church as such, but the, this small group of men. This is just the very very first seed. Of the church. And right here, the first week of Jesus' ministry. So, really, we just have two points. Um, when I'm through, you're going to say, Whew, those are two points. Um, and first, we see two brothers, and then we see two friends. First, Andrew's experience. And I'm not going to, we're going to be talking about John. For the next, what, 21 chapters? How many? Uh, So we'll just pass over John right now. But Andrew's experience was simple. He stood there. Preaching was going on. It says he was standing there, standing with John the Baptist, listening to his preaching, listening uh, to the Word of God. He attended the meetings when John the Baptist would proclaim, would preach, and and, uh, he was a follower Apparently, uh, a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, when we use the word follow, we're going to use it later in this passage. Uh, follow. You know what follow means? It means follow. In the first century, it, it, there, were, there were teachers and there were preachers. And, and Jesus wasn't the only one. There were a lot of false prophets, too. And they all had disciples. And they would walk and they would talk as they walked. And followers actually were the people behind them following them. But it does mean more than that. We'll talk about that in a moment. He stood there in the midst of that preaching. And then... John points out Jesus, and he follows him. And that word follow literally does mean a once and for all act. He turns to Jesus, ready to make some level of commitment to him, desiring to become a follower. Desiring, but he'd heard John talk about him. And those are, there are three steps there that we all must take as well. We stand where the Word, Christ Himself, the Word, capital W, where the Word, Christ Himself, is preached. We stand there where the Word is preached. And we hear the Word. And we know, uh, Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And then we follow Jesus. And the only way to follow Jesus is to turn away from your old life. To repent. The only way to turn toward Him is to turn away from your life. The only way to turn toward God is for you to turn away from being your own God. And that's what we see here. Jesus talks about it. John eight twelve. 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, how could you turn down that promise? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Some of you have turned down that promise over and over and over again. What about that promise is worth turning down? John 10:27 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So there are two things that just make it more challenging for men and women to find Christ, especially in our day and age. And that is, it's challenging when you're not standing where the word is preached. Which could mean that you're standing with those who don't follow Christ. You're standing with those who don't care Christ. You care for Christ. You're standing where there's no preaching of the word or you're standing in a church where the word is not preached so not standing is not a good thing nor is not hearing faith comes by hearing the word of God and so many times we're not hearing our minds are wandering Uh, we're we're sleepy eyed I know some of you just opened your eyes. You're, we're distracted. We don't, we don't hear because we're distracted by all the noise of life. And on, I could go on and on. So Jesus is walking and Andrew and John, uh, they're following. And Jesus turns to them. In, in my head, is sort of in-your-face thing. He turns to them and he says, What? Are you seeking? He didn't say who. Whom are you seeking? What are you seeking? Well, are you singing meaning, meaningfulness? Are you singing, seeking purpose in your life? Are you seeking significance? This is all the talks of the talk of the seeker-friendly churches. Are you seeking a religion of self-improvement? Are you seeking rules and regulations? Are you seeking fellowship? Are you seeking companionship? Are you seeking deliverance from your trials and your troubles and the pain of your life, the suffering of your life? Are you seeking approval? What are you seeking? I don't really know if they answered because they seem rather startled at this point. He turns and he says to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, whoa, Rabbi, where are you staying? They don't even know how to answer. They never met Jesus before. They call him rabbi. They, they, they know from John's preaching who he is, what he is, that, that master or teacher. So they know who, who he is, but they don't know. They don't know him. And they want to. Where are you staying? They just don't want to stand there on the street and have a quick little conversation with him. They want to know where he's staying. They want to spend time with him. 
They didn't even know. It's probably why they responded this way. They didn't even know what they were seeking. They didn't even... They weren't even aware at this point that there was a need in their heart that had not been met and he was the only one that could meet it. That there was something wrong with their souls and he was the only one that could save them. Now, if I could take a little side row. We mentioned last week and some of you even mentioned that to me this week that you know, realize that John was just talking about baptism, that this wasn't the actual baptism of Jesus taking place at this point. Uh, we also need to understand, too, because we might assume this in reading this passage, that this isn't the time Jesus called them to be disciples. You read some commentators that say, oh, if this is the time of calling the disciples, there's a conflict with the timing in Matthew when he calls the disciples as well. That there looks like, if, the, if Jesus is calling them to be disciples here, there is a conflict between Matthew and John in the timing of them being called disciples. But this is not Jesus calling them to be disciples at, at this point. Jesus is simply calling them to become believers at this point, not disciples. And that's the invitation today. And that's the invitation every day. Where are you staying? And he says, come and see. He says that a lot. That word is used a lot. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The Spirit and Bride say, Come. Let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who's thirsty, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Come, come, come and see. John MacArthur reminds us that we're introduced here to seeking souls. At least in Andrew and John, we're introduced here to seeking souls. Souls. Yet John hasn't said anything about whoever comes to Jesus, the Father will draw him. That hasn't come up yet. It will. That only those who come to Jesus have been drawn by the Father. Nobody comes to Jesus unless he's convicted by the Holy Spirit to come to Jesus. We don't even hear about that at this point. But did it happen? Of course it happened. Because nobody comes to Jesus except the Father draw him. That's what's taking place. John doesn't talk about it here. But that's what's taking place. The Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and lives, moving them to Christ. Nobody comes to Jesus any other way. And they did. Came, they saw, remained with him. Andrew came. Paul tells us in Second Corinthians six two, for he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And that is true if you're here today and you're lost. Christ is not your Savior. Today is the day of salvation.
was true for Andrew at this point is true for you. Andrew accepted the invitation to come and see. And yet, even with the Holy Spirit drawing him to Jesus, he's thoroughly responsible for his own decision. Fully responsible. That, that message of God's electing us before the foundation of the world and me still being responsible, that's a difficult thing to grasp. Where does God's will and Frank Cohn's choice or decision come together? And even those of us who preach and teach the doctrines of grace, and we can articulate those things pretty well, we still have trouble articulating this very mystery. That although the Spirit was drawing Andrew to Jesus Christ, and even though the grace of Jesus Christ was irresistible, Andrew was still responsible for his decision. Spurgeon talked about those of us who worry about such things, about the secret working of the Holy Spirit. How can this be consistent with following Christ? Well, this is Spurgeon being in your face as he can be. Those two things are perfectly consistent. Some persons have asked me at times to reconcile these two things, and I have said to them, very well, tell me the difficulties and I will reconcile them. There's no quarrel between them. I have no time to waste on needless argument. Come you to Christ. And if you do, it will be because the Holy Spirit draws you. If you find the Savior, it will be because the Savior first found you. Perhaps in heaven you may see some difficulties and get them explained. Down here you need not see them and you need not ask to have them explained. Salvation is all of God's grace from first to last. Yet it is true that the grace of God leads men to do what Moses did, according to our subject this morning, to make a choice and to choose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. God grant that you may make an equally wise choice. Come and see. Talk about seeing the truth. And Andrew was being assured he could come. This is a promise. Come and see. Not come and you might see. Not come and you're going to have more questions. No. The promise from Jesus is come and see. It was a promise. The Lord guaranteed it. If you come, you will see. Remember before you came to the Lord? And then God opened your eyes and He opened your heart. And after that, you looked back. Then you could see God's electing grace at work in your life, throughout your entire life. And you could say, oh, that's why God did that. You don't see until you come. Until He opens your eyes. Paul also said, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so they stayed with him. It says about the tenth hour, um, as it's probably ten o'clock in the morning. Some people say if it was Jewish time, it was four o'clock in the afternoon. But John leans toward using Roman time, so it's probably correct. It's ten o'clock 
in the morning. So they spent pretty much a day and night with Jesus. And look back at verse 12 of chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's these two. John's remembering this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and write it down. Then he first found his own brother, Simon. Hmm. Andrew's first concern was his brother, Peter. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? As quickly as possible, after discovering Jesus for himself, Andrew's first thought, I've got to go see Peter. I've got to tell him. Met Jesus personally. Christ had met the need of his heart. He could not keep his joy to himself. He could not keep this information to himself. He had to go where? To his loved ones immediately. And you know, Andrew knew Peter. And he knew that if Peter was brought into this group of followers, that Peter would become a leader. He knew Peter's personality. Would you be willing to bring somebody into your group who was going to overshadow you? We see that throughout the Gospels. Someone said, Andrew was the pilot light that lit the big flame. We don't see much about him. But every time we see him, he's bringing people to Jesus. The little kid with the loaves and fishes. Who's doing that? Who's bringing that kid to Jesus? Andrew. Some Greeks later on brought to Jesus. Who's bringing them? Andrew. Every time we see him in Scripture, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. You've heard this story before. You know, D.L. Moody just preached to thousands and thousands of people in two different countries, in England and in the Chicago area, in America. And, and D.L. Moody was led to Christ by a man named Edward Kimball, who, who taught a Sunday school class. And so Edward Kimball probably never spoke to a group larger than a Sunday school class of boys at that church. Moody's in the shoe store and Edward Kimball goes there and says he's got, he's got a burden, he's got to talk to him. And he leads him to Christ right there in the shoe store. Years later, D.O. Moody becomes a preacher and guess who gets saved during one of his crusades? A guy by the name of Mordecai Ham who preaches mass evangelism to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And one day, Mordecai Ham finds himself preaching a crusade on a farm in North Carolina. And there's a young boy there, and his name is Billy Graham. In fact, it's his father's farm that Mordecai Ham was using. So listen, we all have different opinions about mass evangelism. But my point here 
is that that one Sunday school teacher that hardly anybody can ever remember unless we preachers quit telling this story. That one Sunday school teacher of that boys' class in that church led one man to the Lord over 150 years ago. And today, this very day, the fruit of that one witness is still being proclaimed. Who brought John Knox to Jesus? I don't know his name. He was some Dominican friar. Led John Knox to the Lord. The leader of the Scottish Reformation. I don't know who led him to the Lord. What was the name of that substitute preacher on that snowy day in that village out in the country in England? That spoke and a young man named Charles Spurgeon came to Christ. What was that guy's name that was preaching that day? He was a substitute. I don't know. We remember the Peters. We forget the Andrews. And even before Jesus called them to be his disciples... Even before Jesus told them what Jesus says in Matthew 4, verse 19, Follow me and I will make you fishers of man. Andrew was doing it. He hadn't said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men yet. No. He just ran to his brother. Let me tell you something. Later on in John, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me. Even so, I am sending you. And Andrew's conviction to Peter is, we have found the Messiah. I don't know what they talked about. That They spent a whole day together, roughly. I'm not sure what they talked about that day, John and Andrew. But I, but I can imagine... It may have been close to what we read about in Luke 24 when Jesus spends time and has and eats with those two men on the road to Emmaus. And then he goes into their house and he talks to them. And they said in Luke 24:32, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Quite possibly that's how John and Andrew felt. After spending time with Jesus, your heart burns in a good way. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus looked at him. The Greek word there, it's an intense look. He looked at him. Looked right inside Peter. He says, you will be called. Now, that's in the future tense. Jesus had to work real hard to get Peter to become a rock. That was not an easy job. At some point, 
your name will be changed to rock. You'll be changed from that self-centered, defensive, overbearing, carnal man with a strong will, and you'll be called rock. Immovable. Unbreakable. Jesus worked hard at it. Donald Gray Barnhouse said about this, Even before the Lord Jesus told his disciples that he would make them fishers of men, Andrew witnessed his brother and landed the big fisherman, Simon Peter. Many who think that they can be used in far fields have never begun where the Lord meant them to begin, right at home. That's hard. Family's harder, isn't it? Witnessing to a stranger, I think, is easier. You know, five minutes at the most, you share the gospel, you're gone. You, you know, maybe you see what God does, maybe, maybe you don't. It's harder to witness to your brother or your sister because they know you're a jerk. They've seen whether you live the gospel or not. And listen, if you're going to witness to your family, you better, be, you better be sure they've seen a change in your life. They know whether you practice what you preach. And guys, I don't know about you, but it's certainly true of me. That's why it's so hard to be spiritual leaders of our home. Honey, let's do a devotion together. Really? After what you said to me last night? Now you want me to listen to you read the Bible? Fortunately, my wife's not that way, and she has every reason to be that way. Start at home, though. Andrew did. There's one more thing about Andrew I think is important, and I guess we're going to get through today. Leonard Bernstein, a great conductor and composer, he said that the hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. That's Andrew. We don't know much about him. Could be not much is known about him. He's normally addressed, he's Peter's brother. Wouldn't that be great? The one thing we do know is he led his brother to the Lord. It's important to let to let people let Jesus reach people through us. Come and see. You don't need any clever arguments. You don't need any gimmicks. Just tell them who Jesus is. He can do it. I've heard you do something similar to each other 
And some of you to me, I have an ache or a pain or, or you have aches or pains or something's going on in your life. I've heard you use these same words. You need to go see my doctor. He saved my life. But we won't tell people about Jesus. The wealth of information about Peter in the Gospels and Acts reveals the power of the Gospel to transform a, 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 a simple but tough-headed person into a true rock. And that's the two brothers. Next, we have two friends. Philip's experience was a bit different. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Jesus went to, as far as we know, that's the only reason he decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said, follow me. Philip was next on the list. And lo and behold, he traveled great distance. You know, Jesus will do that. You use those excuses sometimes. Oh, I'm too sinful to be found by Him. I have too much baggage to be saved. I'm too evil for His love to overcome. I don't deserve His salvation. Well, that one's true. None of us do. It's the purpose of grace. There is no hopelessness that Jesus cannot overcome. And the grace of God will go to any place, any condition, any person to open a heart. So he seeks Philip. Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 18.37, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And Jesus says, follow me. And guess what Philip does? He follows him. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And that follow does mean more than just walk behind him. It means to be united to him, to be in close union with him, to become like him, to be conformed to him. That's why, you, that's why, that's why you're a disciple, you're a learner. And he follows him, first thing he does, what? Goes to his friend Nathaniel. Let me tell you a little bit about Nathaniel. We think Nathaniel's Bartholomew. Nathaniel's only mentioned in, John, in the Gospel of John. Bartholomew is mentioned in the other three Gospels. And, and Bartholomew is connected with Philip in the other three Gospels. So Nathaniel had two names. Bartholomew, you know, um, Simon, he said, Simon, son of John. In the King James, it says Simon Barjona, Bar meaning son of. So Nathaniel Bartholomew is, that's the same person. And 
he says they, they knew the Scriptures as well. He, he says, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. And he is Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. And then Nathaniel. That would have been a blow. You know, you witness somebody, we found the Messiah, and he said, Oh, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel's confrontation here is certainly the most dramatic. And there's a reason that he said that. Um, on the border of Nazareth, it was, it's a village in Galilee, and uh, the, it bordered a Gentile area. The heathen lived near Nazareth. And, so, and it was sometimes even called the Galilee of the Gentiles. And Jews were deeply prejudiced against the Gentiles. And, and they, they considered anybody who even touched a Gentile to be unclean in the sight of God. And so it was a natural thought for this Jewish man to say, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And that's why Jesus said he's, he's without deceit, without guile, because, frankly, what came out of his mouth was an honest thought that was in his head. But it could be Philip, too, knew that Nathaniel was like that. And yet Philip loved him enough to go to him and care for him. And tell him about Jesus. You know, I don't know where this saying comes from. I've been saying this my entire life, or at least my entire ministry. But we see this in Philip and Nathaniel's relationship. And that is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. He cared for his friend, his lost friend. And he went to him. And prejudice, you know, prejudice doesn't have anything to do with the Gentiles. What pre- pre- if you're prejudiced, it, it, it's only about you. And prejudice will keep you from experiencing the saving grace of Jesus Christ. What prejudice does, it blinds you to your sin. Prejudice blinds you. You think the focus is on the other person. But it's not. The focus is on yourself. But prejudice blinds you to your weaknesses. Prejudice blinds you to your shortcomings. Prejudice blinds you to the error in your life. You can't see anything else. Despite it, Nathaniel was invited to follow Jesus, and he didn't argue, Philip didn't argue with him. He just simply confronted him with Jesus Christ. And there's an important encounter between Jesus and Nathaniel. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel said, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Just a brief point here about that. 
Jesus knew Nathaniel's beliefs. And he called him to be a disciple anyway. Jesus knew Nathaniel was an Israelite indeed. He called him to be a disciple anyway. Jesus knew what was in Nathaniel's heart. He called him to be a disciple anyway. Jesus could see inside his character, and he called him to be a disciple anyway. It wasn't because he was good at hiding that character from Jesus, because Jesus could see it. Luke tells us in Luke 12, too, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will be, not be known. Listen, whatever you think you're hiding from him, you will never, ever hide from the watchful eye of Jesus Christ. And there's some good things about that. This offers hope. To someone who wants to just throw themselves on, to cast themselves on Christ. Christ can help you meeting your need. Christ can lead you in the direction that He wants to go, no matter what He knows about you. But it's also a warning as well. You just want to go on your merry way, and you think you're hiding all that from, from the Lord God. And you can't. And you're not. He knows. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. And Nathaniel confesses him, Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel. Jesus is Lord. He's Rabbi, the great teacher. He's the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. That's a popular concept of the Messiah in Israel in those days, even now. And then Jesus bears witness to himself. Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see Heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, just quickly, what in the world is he talking about here? Jesus is referring here to Genesis 28. And that is a picture, just a wonderful picture. Most of you know about, some of you might not know about, and that's okay too. It's where Jacob puts his head on a rock and he goes to sleep. And Jacob sees a ladder and a dream going from earth to heaven and angels going up and down the ladder. And Jacob was dreaming of a day when he would have access to God. And you know who the ladder is? Look what he says. Truly, I say to you, you see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending where? On the Son of Man. The Son of Man is the ladder. That's your only access to God. Nathaniel, I know a lot of stuff about you, but there's something even greater than that. 
through me, you can have permanent, personal access to God, the creator of the universe. What a promise. I'm the latter, Jesus says. Son of man. He, that, 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 that means a lot of things. When we could, that's a whole other sermon. A representative man. He's the perfect man. He's the pattern. He's the embodiment of everything a man ought to be. The per, he's the perfect picture of man. He calls himself that more than any other name. Picture of Jesus as the heavenly son of man contrasted with Adam, the earthly man. And so, we see Andrew, and we see Philip, and we see John, the evangelist, John the apostle, Peter, and Nathaniel. They became the next witnesses. And they followed the pattern of John the Baptist. They didn't attract attention to themselves. They gave a verbal witness of Jesus Christ. And they did so in order that the person they were speaking to would follow Jesus also. So come and see. Do you really wonder if he's the Son of God? Do you really wonder if he is the latter, if he's the one who's the only access to the Father? Do you wonder if that's true? You doubt that? Is it true? Is it not? Is he who he says he is? Maybe not. All I can say to you, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Let's pray. Come and see. That's my cry for you today. You don't know him as your Lord and Savior. Come and see. There'll be Pastor Greg and others will be at the back and this during this last song and you can ask questions. They'll open the word for you and they'll show you. If you're a believer here today, then you need to find out the answer as to why your witness is so weak. Why you'll tell people your doctor saved your life, but you won't tell people that Jesus saved your life. Brothers and sisters, we all must repent the weakness of our witness. Do that today. Father, we pray that you'll take these next few moments, continue to move in our lives and change us, mold us and shape us. You know who we are. You know our character. You know our sin. You know our thoughts. By your grace, you love us anyway. We thank you and praise you for that. Father, do your work. As we spend these last few moments together before we give our offering, whatever we do these last few moments, Lord, we pray that you would take it and bless it and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.